The following message is from our friends at Kernel. Kernel allows you to fully control your update and release process via continuous deployment with Git and license management, all while looking like WordPress.org updates. The tool gives you insights into WordPress version usage, what version of your product people use, and what domains your product is installed on. Coming soon, you'll be able to see what PHP version your customers are running, as well as language their site is in. Kernel helps WordPress developers and agencies distribute updates for their premium plugins and themes. Kernel makes packaging and distributing updates easy with tight Git integration and push to build. Check out the product today at kernel.us. That is K-E-R-N-L dot U-S. The industry expects it to be me. The world expects it to be me. And that automatically creates a glass ceiling for me because... The world expects it to be me. But if we can start to remove that, then maybe we'll start to lift some of those other auxiliary problems. And I'm really hoping that Nano can achieve that. My name is Desi McAdam. I am the CTO and co-founder of Nano. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Desi McAdam built a marketplace for vetted sitters so parents could get their kids watched when they need it most. All this and more on Code Story. A mother of two, Desi McAdam understands the needs of a parent. She graduated from Georgia Tech with a degree in computer science and loves to roller skate and may have participated in roller derby a time or two. Fast forward several years, she and her co-founder were meeting to figure out how to create a co-working space with childcare. In attempting to do this, they came up with the idea for Nano, an on-demand platform for connecting parents to vetted quality sitters when and where they need them. So I'm primarily a web developer. uh, So that's sort of where we started. You know, we started off by just sort of kind of thinking through how we as parents would use the platform to get childcare when we needed it. And so we sort of built out the MVP based on ourselves and our friends, because that was really the, you know, luckily for us, we were the subject matter experts. So we started building the the MVP based on that. And like I said, as far as technology goes, I'm a web developer and have been doing Ruby for years. So I just built it in Ruby and Rails to start off with. And our platform is still primarily that. We do have some other technologies that sort of interact, but that's the base of our platform. Once we actually started coding, it didn't take that long. It was probably maybe six months to get like an actual MVP. We probably built more than we needed to in the beginning. And that's partly because we as parents felt like we didn't really think we could validate the platform without actually having a platform for people to use because i mean people will tell you that they will use a system to do this but there's a difference between people saying that they will do it and people actually pushing the button to do it and so we were pretty confident that we needed to have like an actual functioning system but there's a lot of things that i think we probably built that we shouldn't have built like around the caregiver onboarding and that sort of stuff i think we built out those flows a lot earlier than we really needed to but yeah. You said you built more than you maybe should have, but there's probably still some things that you left off, some decisions that you made, trade-offs you made in the short term. 
to get the product out there you know as fast as possible how did you make those decisions and you know how'd you cope with them yeah i mean there's still stuff that we like absolutely 100 percent need that we don't have right now that we're working on trying to build out now in order to be able to scale bigger than we are a lot of the stuff that we left out was around sort of like the tail end of the transaction, right? So like we built out everything to get the transaction in place and to make the transaction happen. But then there's a lot of stuff like around that that you have to build out in addition to it. And that's sort of the stuff that we were like, well, we can just cancel bookings by hand for now. The problem with that is that over time, like, you know, as volume increases, that becomes a harder problem that you eventually have to solve. So like we left out a lot of things like that and we just focused on building, like how do we get a parent to be able to create a booking and get a sitter to their home as fast as possible. But again, there's lots of stuff around that, including like things around scaling and performance. And, you know, we do all of this stuff right now through text messaging and like, how does, you know, how do carriers like respond to large volumes of text messages coming through on long codes? So there's a whole gamut of things that we were like, we're just going to punt on that, that we definitely have to circle back to. Sure. Totally get that. So it's functional debt and it's technical debt, right? Yes. Where you build something, maybe not the way you really want it in the long term, but you're going to come back and fix it. Or you don't build something and you, you know you're going to need it later, but yeah. you, you punt it. And, you know, we've been around for three years. So the MVP was very contained. You know, it was very much the, the on-demand product. We definitely built that. And then we've had sort of other things, like other verticals, I guess, that have popped up along the way that we've we've also built things out around and we've made MVPs of these other, I don't know, almost product lines. And there's lots of stuff around those that we're like, well, we're not going to build that because we don't even know if anyone's going to actually use this. And we have whole things that we've built out like that that are basically just sidelined. So it's it's been an interesting journey of sort of like figuring out we have a good product market fit for our core business, but also sort of figuring out like what do we want to be, you know, in the end? Or what are we trying to move to? Sure. Going from that point, how has the product progressed? How have you matured the technology of the product? The core product has been pretty solid as far as like how it functions since early on. We've we pivoted a bit around things like originally we were only last minute. So we would only let you book jobs within 48 hours, I think it was. But like we quickly learned probably within, I don't know, a month or two of being launched that that was like an artificial restriction that we really didn't need to have in place. So we had to open that up. And so now people can book them further in advance, which meant that we had to then think about, okay, well, if people are not going to have a booking in the next 48 hours, then we probably need to send them reminder messages. So like just sort of expanding on these minor pivots that we've made in our core product along the way. But then we've also sort of explored other avenues that we've built out the product around. So for instance, we started doing a lot of event bookings for conferences and meetups and and just anywhere we could provide childcare for working parents, we were trying to do it because that's, you know, that's our mission. We want to make it so that parents are able to do the things they want and need to do and not have to feel guilty about it. So, you know, we started working with meetups and conferences. Like last year, we sponsored Ethereum conference here, Ethereum Denver here in Denver, and we provided childcare for the full week. So what we've done is we've taken that learning. We did do a lot of that manually early on. So we've taken the learning from doing those and we've actually turned it into a product that we have in our system now. That's fantastic. That's super cool about the Ethereum conference. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's awesome. We love helping the tech conferences, all conferences, so, but you know, I'm kind of partial to the tech ones. So. 
But, you know, that is an interesting point. You could do that for any conference. You wouldn't need to do it just for tech. You know, there are parents across all industries. You could be a sponsor or a vendor at any conference. That's my mind just exploded a little bit. That's cool. (laughs) How do you build your roadmap? You touched on this a little bit, but let's go into it a little bit deeper. How do you and your your co-founder figure out what's the best, most important thing to build next? So, you know, this is something that it's been challenging for us, quite frankly, because everything is a shiny object. So my co-founder has been, you know, she's been trying to sort of figure out what's the best way to help us stay focused. And someone recommended the book to her. I think it's called Radical Focus. I don't know if you've read it or not. The opening of the book is it like explains the whole thing. But basically, she didn't want to get married and her dad said, you got to get married. But she was this great runner. And he was like, well, you know what? You're going to get married, but I'll let there be a race. And whoever wins the race is who you have to marry. And she was like, okay, cool, but I'm going to race in the race too. And he was like, that's fine. And if she won the race, she wasn't going to have to get married and she didn't want to get married. So she was racing and everything was going great. And she would have totally stomped everybody, except this one guy kept throwing these golden apples in her way. And she would stop to pick them up because it's a golden apple. And she ended up losing the race because she kept getting distracted by these golden apples, where if she had just ignored them, she would have made it and gotten what she really wanted. So anyway, this book is really helping us (laughs) because it's helping us sort of figure out what are golden apples. Because like I've said, we've gone down a couple of different paths where we're like, that would be really awesome if we could do that thing because that's a, you know, great revenue model or it's really speaking to our mission. And we distract ourselves down that path. And then we realize that we, you know, we have a golden apple. So we've got to then stop ourselves and try to get back on track. So Liz and I are working very hard to sort of fix this challenge that we have where we're distracted by all the shiny objects and really focus in on our core product to make sure that we get that completely 100% locked down so that we can scale. Because scaling is really the thing that we want to do right now. So that's how our product roadmap is sort of coming about. So we've decided to use OKRs and, you know, we are doing quarterly OKRs. So we're able to sort of define what our goals are for a given quarter and just focus on that. That's amazing. What was that book called again? Radical Focus is the name Radical. of the book. I like the story. That's yeah, a great like, illustration. It's very easy to like use that as like a very clear like description of, of what I think I think all founders go for this, go go through this. And especially first time or you know, second time founders, it's very difficult for us to not get distracted by all the shiny things that we might be able to do. Sure. I think that could even apply to developers, right? With the newest and latest tools and yep. you know, the, the latest JavaScript library, or maybe for you, the latest Ruby Gem or something exactly. like that. You know? Exactly. Or the, you know, the newest Twilio, right? Right. Totally. So let's talk about your team. How did you build your team? How did you pick the winning horses and how did you decide the right people to come join you at Nano? So we're still a very small team. We started off, it was it was Liz and I are the two founders. And then my friend Anthony actually helped us build out the core of the product. So that initial year or so, he was the one who helped me get all of the architecture in place and get everything sort of built out and helped me build out a pretty good foundation. Then he sort of moved on and I've been the primary developer by myself for the last year and change. I just awesome. recently, like this week, was able to bring another friend on to help, you know, for a few weeks so that I can meet those OKRs that I'm trying to hit. And then we've worked with a variety of friend developers who are willing to work with us and help us out on an equity basis. So we had some friends who did the iOS app for us. So it's kind of been a hodgepodge around the development world, like our development arena. With regard to the rest of the team, 
everybody who has kind of come, and this is true too of the people who have worked with me in development, everybody who has worked with us are people who actually believe in us and who have, you know, talked to us and reached out to us and just wanted to help us build this thing that we, that we're doing because they believe in us and the idea of it. So I can't really speak to like how I built the team because the team has almost built itself because they've come to us, right? Like they've come to us and said, I really like what you're doing and I want to be a part of it. And I like you and I want to work with you. And that's been really awesome. How it's going to play out going forward, I'm not sure. The other thing too is that the majority of the people on our team are all parents. We actually have one person on the team who is a caregiver. She was a sitter on our platform and she reached out to us. She's got marketing skills and said she wanted to work with us. And so we have her. So everybody who is on our team is in some way or another a user of our platform as well. That's amazing. So you have people coming to you saying, I want to work with you and you can utilize those resources when you need to. And I guess the common thread of, I hear what you're saying is that they all believe in your product. They all believe in in you and your co-founder and the product you're building. Is that right? Yes. And they believe that it's a problem that the world needs to solve. We have competitors who have tried to, to solve this problem, but it's just not an easy problem to solve. And everyone feels strongly that it needs to be solved, but it's very hard to solve. Certainly. So let's talk about scalability a little bit. Have you been building this to scale efficiently or do you know when you need to pivot to scalability? Or let's talk about that a little bit. How does that fit into your architecture? So I think I believe that I have been building to scale and I have done things along the way to try and make sure that we could scale up or out however we needed over time. There are still a lot of things that I need to do in order to make sure that we could scale from a platform point of view. The things that are holding us back from scaling right now are all around sort of those auxiliary functions that I was talking about earlier. So things like like actual feature sets that we need to get in place so that there's not a person who is constantly trying to handle things that should really be handled by the system. That's actually our, our impediment for scalability right now. As far as like volume scale, I think there's a few things that I hadn't considered that I am running into now. So we've actually doubled our revenue in August. Congratulations. That, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome mainly because it showed us where we were where we were going to crash if we didn't fix things. You know what I mean? Like sure. it was just enough that we could handle it, but too much like if it had happened, you know, like we we were it made us very aware of the trouble spots. So, there are a few things that I hadn't really thought about. Like for instance, the way that we do our messaging to people about job opportunities. We do all of that through a Twilio platform, but I just recently encountered some issues around long codes versus short codes. And as you scale, you become more obvious to carriers and then carriers start to decide whether or not they want to keep letting you use this cheaper form of doing things versus a short code, which is like $3,000 a month. So like in that area, those are things that I just didn't know I wasn't covered on with scale. I'm starting to sort of like realize these things. I think the person you interviewed last or the last podcast you had a gentleman named Ben, he was talking about how every time you double everything break. And I was like, oh, I'd never heard that before, but that's <laughs> totally true. Like this just happened to me. Um, but it's cool because when that happens, it makes everything very painfully obvious, right? Like it's, it's like, oh, that's a thing. That's a thing. That's a thing. Like I said, I feel like I was, I believed I had built things to be able to scale. But as soon as we, you know, had this like big doubling point, it was like, there are several things I didn't consider. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. That's awesome. Well, thank you for listening to the latest episode. So 
looking at Nano, looking at what you've built so far and the people you're working with, you know, the problem you're solving, what are you most proud of? It's really hard to say because, I mean, what we're doing is not easy. And the, the problem that we are trying to solve is, is a difficult one. So I think one of the biggest things that I'm most proud of is the fact that we have been able to provide childcare to people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to have that problem solved for them. So like just what I was talking about with the conferences, right? Like that's just one of the many ways that we've, we've been able to help people. I mean, people have been able to go to work, you know, when they needed to, because we were able to get them a caregiver within an hour on a, you know, when their kid suddenly woke up with a fever. We've made something that has historically been almost impossible, so much so the parents just wouldn't even try something that is possible. And that for me is a very powerful thing, especially being a woman, a woman who is a professional career woman. My husband is amazing, you know, father, and he will definitely tag in when need be, but it kind of, you know, like the industry expects it to be me. The world expects it to be me. And that automatically creates a glass ceiling for me because the world expects it to be me. But if we can start to remove that, then maybe we'll start to lift some of those other auxiliary problems. And I'm really hoping that Nano can achieve that. That's awesome. Well done. Let's flip the script a little bit. What was a mistake you made in the early days or at any point? And how did your team respond to it? I know mistakes are important and, and failures are important, but I like to think of them more as tests and challenges. So like looking back on the things that we did that didn't succeed, I like to look at them as like, well, that was a test and we learned and we now know that that didn't work. So there's several things that sort of fall into that category for us. You know, I think for us, some of our competitors may be more successful with some of the things that we've tried. But like, for instance, we tried looking at working with agencies and we went down that road. And when I say agencies, I mean like nanny agencies. I don't want to necessarily say that it was a, a mistake because like I said, we learned, but we just weren't able to create a scenario for them that worked with our platform. And it distracted us from our core platform for a little while. So I guess that kind of falls into it. But again, all of these things are just, they're just growths and learnings as far as I'm concerned. So who influences you? Name an architect or CTO, tech person, or anyone who influences the way you work and why? Well, so I have lots of heroes in the tech world. You know, I think the people that I've worked with in the, in the past are the ones who probably influenced me the most. And my husband, he's also a software developer and a very intelligent man. So he and I do a lot of conversations around technical stuff at home, which may sound terrible to everybody else, but it's awesome for us. Uh, so he influences me a lot, but, but also my friends. You know, like I said, we're, I'm on, a, you know, a half dozen different Slack channels. And there, a lot of them are like alumni of companies that I've worked at previously where everybody I worked with was brilliant and I enjoyed working with them. And so a lot of those people sort of influence my everyday life because they're all super smart and they're all very willing to share and help. But as far as like heroes, I think Rebecca Parsons, the CTO of ThoughtWorks, is one of the people that I really look up to as far as like women developers. I mean, she's just amazingly intelligent and she's done a great job at sort of driving that company forward. So. so if you could go back to the very beginning or even throughout the process, what would you consider doing differently? Like I said, I feel like if I, you know, hindsight is 2020, but if I feel like if I knew a little more about how to build without building so that testing would have been a little easier or maybe we wouldn't have quite gone so far down one road and not you know further down another I think that if I could go back and tell myself like hey 
a lot of this effort that you're putting into, you know, this this onboarding process, it's all going to have to be rewritten in six months. So, like, <laughs> maybe don't don't write all of it. Just do the parts that you have to do in order to be able to have confidence that this is solid. So, again, just telling myself to not build as many things. And also, if I could go back and tell my, you know, three years ago, me about this whole golden apple idea, maybe we would be a lot further along than we are right now. That's awesome. So you're sitting on a plane and you're sitting next to someone who is just getting started, built their first prototype. They're excited. They want to show you how that they're going to change the world with what they just built. What advice do you give them? Be willing to take criticism, but also don't lose faith in yourself. So everybody has advice and it's everyone wants to give it to you. And that's awesome. And you have to be able to sort of like listen, but also listen to yourself. Like, so just be able to be strong and confident in your own understanding of what you're trying to build and what you're passionate about and be able to take the advice of others and meld that well without letting other folks sort of derail you. That did not come out as like elegantly as I would like, but basically just believe in yourself. That's great advice. Well, Desi, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Nano. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Season two episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.